0: Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello everybody, it is Monday the 13th of February 2023. Earlier today, we did a show with the, the British writer Sathnam Sanghera as a book out, Empire Land, How Imperialism Has Shaped Modern Britain. He argued that colonialism and imperialism has defined modern Britain. And of course, Britain was the original European colonial superpower, shaping and reshaping much of the world. Uh, And then last week, we also did a show with Fintan O'Toole, an Irish writer, magnificent new book out, We Don't Know Ourselves, which also sees itself as a consequence of history and of colonialism. There are very few places in the world that weren't formally colonized by European powers. One of those is Thailand, and we're going to be talking about Thailand today. We haven't done a show on Thailand. Uh, I've frequently visited the country. It's a magnificently energetic, colorful place, particularly Bangkok. And there's a new book out tomorrow, Welcome Me to the Kingdom, uh, a first-time collection of short stories uh, by my guest, Mai Nardone. Mai is joining us from Philadelphia. He normally lives in Bangkok. Uh, Mai, would it be fair to say that um, Thailand differs from much of the rest of the world because it was never formally colonized, or is that oversimplistic?
1: Um, I think within the Southeast Asian context, like Southeast Asian history, even though it wasn't colonized, it certainly cooperated with, um, a lot of the colonial powers, the Dutch, the English who were in the region. And so it doesn't have some of the, um, some of the legacy that the other countries have. For example, English is not widely spoken. Um, and that's, they're trying to change that, but it does, uh, have some of the institutional legacy and like the, the Thai monarchy was originally a constitutional monarchy modeled after um, the British one, and a lot of the aristocracy or the former aristocracy and the elites would go to be educated in the US and the UK. And so um, they do still have some of that legacy, even though it's a, it's a really different relationship with the colonial powers.
0: You went to the, the British school in Bangkok, Patana, and you mentioned me yeah. earlier. Um, and yet the book itself, these collection of stories, is, is not about this privileged class of people who go to private schools. Tell me a little bit mm-hmm. about your life, your upbringing, your background, and, and how you learned to write about, shall we say, the, the underbelly of Bangkok life.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm half American, half Thai, and I grew up in Bangkok, um, and my mother's Thai. And, um, I think that when I was starting out this collection, I wanted to write about the, the 1997 financial crisis, which had a big impact on all of Southeast and East Asia. Um, and in looking at this crisis and because it was kind of a, a big moment in my, especially my mom's family, but even my dad who was working in Thailand at the time was affected. Um, and so, so yeah, we were looking at this crisis that sort of had ripple effects across the entire economy and it, and across all kind of class divides. And a part of that was once I was writing about that then I needed to write across the spectrum. And so that's what I started to do. And um, Bangkok, as you know, probably from your visit, it's, it's notoriously one of these cities in which, um, geographical or physical divides don't exist in the same way that they do in the U S and so the stereotype is that you'll have this fancy condominium right beside a slum, which is very much the case. And so it was about like capturing some of those layers to the city. Um, and even where I grew up, I grew up in kind of a townhouse a little outside of the city and, um, behind my house was this canal, which still laces Bangkok, a lot of these canals. And then right on the other side was a Muslim slum. Um, and so it was it was trying to capture like all the elements of the city and also not not hide any of the i don't i don't think this is necessarily a book that um that shows the country the way that it wants to be which is usually it's you know it is a very tourist focused country and so it is always trying to project this image as the land of smiles and so this is trying to show some of the other side
0: yeah that cheerfulness of course is 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 the Thai brand um, the title of the collection of stories is welcome me to the kingdom which of course reminds us about the Thai royal family as you say it was originally created to it's a copy of the British constitutional monarchy but it hasn't really worked out that way the current mm-hmm. king uh, certainly doesn't have a lot in common with the current king of England a huge Defamation laws; people are put in jail for any mm-hmm. kind of criticism. How important do you think my the this rather authoritarian uh, monarchy is in terms of life uh, on the streets of Bangkok? I've never really understood how they connect.
1: Mm, I I think that um, so so the the former king Rama Nine, um, the current king's father, he. He was, he, he reigned for something like 60 years. He was in power for, or not in power, he was in that position for so long that um, for a lot of ties, it was the only king they really knew. And part of the soft power campaign around the monarchy was that, like, you know, by the time I was born in 1989, in the country that I grew up in, he was revered on the status of a demigod, really. And the most sort of everyday example of this is if you went to the movie theater during your visit in Thailand, then before the movie, they would play the Royal Anthem, which is different from the National Anthem. Um, and everyone in the movie theater would stand up. And and there was this culture of reverence around the king. And so, th- so some of these laws, I think at the time, didn't seem that restrictive because so much of the country really kind of did believe in the mythology of the previous king. But now he's passed away. And... Um, and I think that the facade of the monarchy is starting to crumble a little bit. And um, this current king is not as popular. People are not standing in the movie theaters. And um, yeah, we see even today where the, the regime is trying to kind of weaponize a lot of these draconian laws around around what you can say about the monarchy and they, um, they interpret It very widely and there are student protesters being tried, being sentenced to really long prison sentences every day. And so it is it is. uh, Yeah, I think it it exists in sort of the especially for the youth and their imagination a lot more that this is a more repressive society um, than perhaps the previous generation would have thought of it as.
0: What comparisons would exist then uh... Perhaps we we did a show last week on the repressive situation in contemporary Saudi Arabia. Are there other mm. countries in some ways with a with a, with a young new king as well who's also extremely repressive? Are there equivalents around the world, you think, to Thailand, Mai?
1: I don't know if there are, just because um the the, the power is not a lot of the power of the monarchy in Thailand is not constitutional you know like if it were if they had properly taken the example of the UK then the king constitutionally doesn't actually have a lot of power they're just a figurehead um and yet in Thailand
0: they would have to have big ears and small brains I think
1: (laughs) right right um and and in Thailand the um the the monarchy and sort of the what's called the crown property bureau which is the wealth of of the crown kind of, um, extends into a lot of the economy. And so, you know, they own a lot of the most expensive real estate in downtown Bangkok. A lot of the kind of major Thai companies, um, have the monarchy as a shareholder. And so I think, I, I, I think I'm I'm not, I don't know about this, but my impression would be that a more apt comparison is some of these countries that have, um, one of these super monopolies, um, That control things across a lot of different industries and therefore that economic power also translates to political power um and that's probably the politics are
0: complicated um we're always reading of street demonstrations of one kind or another they don't break down in traditional left-right terms um as an upcoming election in which uh daughter's running he was a, a previously popular but also controversial political leader how would you uh, describe the politics particularly of the the Thai street of the Bangkok street does it does it capture mm. the left-right socialist versus capitalist nature of of other um, developing uh, or, or or early industrial s- countries or is there something uniquely Thai about it?
1: Um, I think there are some uniquely Thai aspects in that it is a city or a country where a lot of the Economic opportunity is centered around Bangkok, around the capital, and so um, the people traditionally, the people in power for a long time would spend money ar- on on people in the city, and so this alienated a lot of the countryside. And there's um, part of Thaksin's when he came to power in the early 2000s, he, he was kind of a reckoning for those people, where they were finally given a voice, and then part of his position was that he upset the old elite and um anyway and he ended up being ousted in a coup which later on his sister was elected and she was also ousted and now um we might see history repeat itself again if um if his daughter does manage to win um in the this year's election. Uh
0: the book is out in the US tomorrow. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if it's getting published in Thailand. Um... Is it a relatively intellectually free country? I mean, you're, you're, you you seem to be relatively outspoken. You're not shy to expose the darker side of Thailand. You're currently in Philadelphia. You're going to go back to Bangkok where you live. Could you get into trouble for this book?
1: Um, no, pretty much. It's it's a country where the censor the censors are really only watching Thai language things. I would be really impressed if um if my book came across their radars, given that it's written in English. Um, So, yeah, it's not... I don't... It's not a... It's authoritarian, but their tools are not that sophisticated, I guess. I think it's still...
0: um, Is is it likely that this book will get translated into Thai, especially given it's by a Thai writer about Thailand?
1: um, Also, no. (laughs) Um, I think there isn't as much interest... In literature, especially short stories, and a lot of what is translated in Thailand is um, is foreign literature. Strangely, um, and so there there aren't that many examples of Thai writers writing in English, and in none of those examples have their books been translated back into Thai. Um,
0: My, you went to Middlebury uh, after graduating uh, high school in Bangkok. Um, this is a collection of your first. Uh, collection uh your first publication collection of short stories who inspired you what inspired you um in terms of your craft it's it's a very tough business short story i don't suppose uh the advance for this book is gonna buy you a palace in bangkok right <laughs>
1: um no yeah definitely not i mean i think i think i um short stories are the the format of the i did one of these masters of fine arts and writing in the states and um
0: where did that wasn't it, middlebury that was after you
1: graduated no that that was at columbia's mfa program and they um i mean the mfa is pretty, pretty
0: fancy out. yeah was that was that an interesting program
1: yeah i i think it was especially because um um i did my undergraduate in economics and so I had sort of missed the groundwork, I guess, and programs like Columbia and some of these, usually I think it's the older programs, they still insist on um, on having something like a core curriculum for the master's program. So you're not just taking workshops, you're also taking um, craft classes, seminars, and things like that. And I think that was really helpful for me trying to catch up. Um, yeah, but but even for the inspirations, I mean, my early, when I was a teenager and I was reading early novels and short story collections. I was reading a lot of the post-colonial writers, um, mostly coming out of India. Like I read Rushdie at the time. I read mm. Arundhati Roy, these writers who were writing in English about non-English speaking countries or communities. Um, and so I think they really paved the way where it was like, wow, okay, this is something that that I could do and that people do do. And um, yeah, and it, it was just kind of one step at a time from then. And, and they did... Also provide kind of like a bridge um, with some writers like Jhumpa Lahiri, who writes about sort of the immigration experience between India and the U.S. and immigrants in the U.S. And so it, it felt like there was a natural progression there.
0: One of the main characters in the short story is a young woman called Nam. Um... You're obviously not a young woman. We've, we've done a number of uh, shows with young female writers, fiction writers. We did one a couple of weeks ago, for example, with Eleanor Shiro has a wonderful new novel out, River, Sing Me Home. Yeah. Did you struggle to get into the heads of your female characters, especially since their worlds were so different from yours? Le- leaving aside mm-hmm. the, the gendered elements, the, the socioeconomic side, how did you get into their heads?
1: Mm hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely and I think that's, that's something that, you know, readers and, and I mean, before that, my editor and people like that, they, they're the ones, it's hard to see that as a writer yourself. But um, part of trying to do that is, is never trying to write, never trying to write archetypes, you know, this is not an archetypal, um you know, woman who works in this industry or something. This is, this is not a, like, I have a story about a, an Elvis impersonator and I'm not trying to write an archetypal Elvis impersonator because I feel, yeah. like, um, I feel like that would be the flawed way to go about it and you would end up with really flat characters. And so if you're, if you're going for something much more specific, it was a lot easier to create, um, I hope, realistic characters. Um, and so whether it's women, whether it's children, whether it's people who are, Uh, living experiences that are totally different from mine it was always about sticking to the specifics trying to stay true to this one character instead of um trying to write somebody that was true to you know an entire class Um,
0: what year were you born i
1: was born in 1989
0: all right so the book starts in 1980 these two young lovers arriving in bangkok How, how autobiographical is it
1: um, there are some autobiographical elements, mostly around, um, uh, like like I mentioned in the beginning, one of the cataclysmic events of the book is the 1997 financial crisis in Southeast Asia. And um, mm-hmm. I think for my mom, my mom comes from like a middle class Thai Chinese um, background. And I think for a lot of that middle class of that generation, um, it really it really kind of destroyed their prospects for life. And um, and I was only like nine years old or something at the time. And the character that I write in the book is, is older. And so she's able to process it a little more than I was. But um, it was about, like, if there's a autobiographical element, it's probably around that event where um, there's this rupture in the family. The American father of the family has to go to the U.S. to work, which was not what happened in my case but um just a lot of the uncertainty and yeah
0: everything collapsed in 97 the 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 thai currency so in in that sense again thailand exists outside the mainstream because it wasn't a a global phenomenon
1: Mm -hmm.
0: how dramatic was this late 90 1990s economic crisis and i assume that Thai, Bangkok and Thailand didn't go through the same thing in the great recession, uh, uh, mm-hmm. of 2008 and
1: nine. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was probably for Thailand on par with the, the oh seven oh eight crisis in the States, um, in terms of the depth, but I think there's less of a, a social net in, in Thailand. And, um, and I mean, so one of the one of the problems was that a lot of a lot of the money that was coming in at the time, and this was during uh, an era of economic liberalization, and so, you know, the country and neighboring countries were encouraged to, um, yeah, to take this foreign money, this foreign direct investment, and, um, and so a lot of money came in very quickly, and then a lot of money went back out again very quickly, and you had a lot of Thai companies, um, you know, business owners who were holding. Dollar-denominated debt and um, and the currency overnight. I mean, my my mom's generation still talks about this: the currency overnight, you know, devaluing by something like a half, and so your debts are doubling. Um, your yeah, um, and so I, I think I think it was for the middle class, especially like a very severe crisis. Um, and you still see the legacy of this in in the city. Like I don't know if on your visit to bangkok you saw some of this but you still see um these concrete buildings that have been empty for 20 years because they ran out of money way back when and um yeah they're just like these concrete shells that that are uh, part of the bangkok skyline
0: bangkok though well, as i said I mean, I mean that's certainly true but bangkok is also an enormously energetic city we've done mm-hmm. lots of shows about cities one for example with the urban historian Ben Wilson, Metropolis: A History of the City, Humankind, in his mm-hmm. view, at least, greatest invention. We also did one with Michael Kimmelman, the architecture correspondent mm-hmm. of the New York Times, about why one should always walk around New York. One of the things about m- my sense of Bangkok when, when I've been there is it's a hard city to walk around, and yet it is mm. enormously vibrant, and perhaps reflects the reality all the best and worst features of 21st century cities. Uh, The book is in many ways a book about Bangkok, a kind of, uh, Mm -hmm. uh, 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 I guess, a kind of love note to Bangkok, even though you Mm -hmm. recognize that Bangkok is not ideal.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, Uh, it's like you said, it, it is a city that's, it's not walkable. It was not necessarily a very well-planned cities. Our public spaces are really just the shopping malls. Um, you know, there are a few parks that are not accessible to very many people because of where they are. Um, public transportation is expensive, uh, relative to local wages. And so it's not a city that's easy to get around. And yet it is a city, um, that just has a lot of these, interesting pockets like one of the one of the stories in the collection takes place in this um, abandoned movie theater that becomes for the two characters like a chop shop where they're working for some local crime boss but um, that that was inspired by an actual abandoned movie theater where I used to go to play badminton and up on the the walls of this movie theater you still had these huge you know, the size of a truck, like um, hand-painted movie posters for posters like Cleopatra and the Battle of the Bulge or something like that, these really old movies. And so and up until that building was still around up until maybe a few years ago. And so it is the city that maybe because of its haphazard development just has a lot of like interesting things that you can stumble across. And that's one of the great things about being able to live in Bangkok is that a lot of these stories come up, come up, you know, like the idea behind the story might be a total accident and something like that, that I stumble into.
0: Well, people should certainly, a lot of people want to visit Bangkok. A lot of people love going there. Certainly a book to read before going rather than the tourist brochures. Um, Mai, what did you, what have you learned about yourself from this whole process? It's very, very hard as our audience knows getting published As a first-time writer, particularly of short stories, you had to overcome many hurdles. You're working now on a novel. What advice Mm -hmm. would you give other aspiring writers, particularly short story writers, uh, Mm -hmm. about the writing process and getting published?
1: Um, I think you do have to believe that you're going to get published someday in order to finish it, because... Um, nobody, nobody is waiting for your book. Nobody is waiting for you to write. Um, and especially if you come from, you know, a place like Thailand where, um, books are not that interesting, not that many people are reading this kind of literature. And so, um, you, yeah, you have to be able to motivate yourself. And one of the ways is just when you're writing is to, is to believe that you're going to see this in print someday, um.
0: And the novel, Mai, I know you're working on that. <laughs> How will that um, add to what you've said in Welcome Me to the Kingdom? Is it a more um, ambitious project?
1: It's its a look at more of the other end, I guess, from where we started. So I'm looking at um, kind of the top end of society. the Like Bangkok, I think it was 2018 or something, it topped uh, – A Credit Suisse survey of one of the most um, unequal countries in the world. And it's, it's the kind of thing that when you're in, you know, when you're downtown, you kind of believe where you see all these supercars, these Lamborghinis going by, which in Thailand, they're taxed at something like three or 400%. And so for every Lamborghini you see, you're really seeing like four Lamborghinis in the U S and that's huge relative to what most people are being paid there. And so, um, yeah, I'm looking at the other end of the spectrum. Are you outraged by
0: of... that? Is it, this Will this be an angry book?
1: Um, I'm I don't know if it, I, I'm personally outraged by that, but I don't know if outrage is the is the mode for fiction because it, it tends to produce something that's like more didactic. And so if I can if I can play with what's absurd about it, I mean, a lot of media, movies, books, around now are are playing with these ideas where, you know, you look at these things that are important to the super, super rich, and you can kind of see the absurdities and you don't necessarily have to point it out, you can just present it. And, um, and I'm hoping to do something more subtle like that and play with some of those ideas, um, yeah.